we've all been in, and, and many of us are, maybe it's kind of a perpetual state, we've all been in times of life where it's just like, hey, an adventure. Um, I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, we're in one of those times at the moment right now. Cheryl and I are both starting new jobs. Uh, we're into a different phase of parenting with, with kids who drive and thinking about college. And I've got this super annoying little mountain bike injury to figure out how to move um, with this. So if you offer for help moving, the answer is let's talk. Um, but it's, just, it's kind of a crazy adventure. Not like an up and down roller coaster adventure, but more like a uh, let's hang on. Not sure where we're going. That's kind of the adventure that I feel like like we're on in this season, and I know that that a lot of people can probably resonate with that. And it's wonderful with challenges. Um, and we're going to see. And it's been really. I, I say this every time I'm up here speaking. Thank you, because the best way to learn something is to teach it. And so for the last couple of weeks to have been kind of in this 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 kind of stuff in Acts 17 that we're going to be looking at has been really great because it's. We see Paul and Silas go through this crazy adventure after crazy adventure, um, and it's wonderful with challenges. Um, so we're going to be looking at Acts 7, if you want to open up, or sorry, Acts 17. Uh, I will have it up on the screen in just a second, but um, if you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, it'd be great to have. Um, if you remember, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, Trey was up here talking in Acts 16, um, and that was in the city of Philippi. And there were some crazy adventures that happened there. There was a, a, a young slave girl, quote-unquote, with a spirit um, that they had to kind of reconcile and, and, and deal with this. They, they got thrown in jail. There was an earthquake. Jail gets thrown open. Um, they, they stay and are praising God for that, and the, the jailer gets converted as a result of that experience. And they end up leaving Philippi, and so that's, that's where we pick up the story. Um, what kind of a couple of Trey's main points that we're, that we're picking up on um, out of that is that there is a spiritual realm, okay? Uh, the, the people in Philippi who interacted with the slave girl with the spirit, they weren't surprised by that. It wasn't like even that weird. It was just a thing that happens. There is a spiritual realm. Um, we shouldn't be obsessed with it. We should be aware of it. And uh, second thing is understanding that the Christian life is not an easy one. There is nowhere um, that we are promised an easy life with Christ, at least what we would define as easy. Uh, and so we need, to, we need to keep that in mind. So we're going to pick up Paul and Silas on their, their missionary journey. Um, they, they go to a, a couple new cities. They've been going city to city. Um, when they get to each city, there's a pattern. We're going to see it actually happen, I think, twice in Acts 17 here. They go straight to the Jewish synagogue. That was their mission. They had a strategy. They had a plan. They were executing their plan. They were, they were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. In other words, to the, to the ethnically Jewish people, which they were as well, and Jesus was as well, um, reaching them first and then spreading that message out from there. Okay, let's read. But actually, before we read, uh, this is kind of a long passage, and I don't know if you're anything like me, Long narrative passages, it's easy for your mind to wander. And when your mind wanders, you miss little details. I timed myself. It will take me two minutes and ten seconds to read this. If you can focus in, me too, if you can focus in for two minutes and ten seconds, we're going to test our modern attention spans here. 
uh, I think it'll be, it'll be beneficial as we go through the rest of the time, if you can kind of catch some of the details and catch the narrative flow to this. Okay, here we go. Now, still with me? Okay. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they arrived. When they arrived, they went into the... Nope, I skipped a line. I'm sorry. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. But now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So, big narrative sweep. Okay, we're going to go back and break it down, make a few observations, see what God has for us. So, first, uh, we're going to see a little map so we can kind of see where, what's, what's going on here, where things are taking place. Um, it looks like this map was produced on a very old computer, but... It's clear, and it works. Um, now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So upper right corner of that map is Philippi. That's where Trey left us off last week. Um, about 30 miles from there is Apollonia. About 30 miles from there is Am Amphipolis. And about 30 miles from there is Berea. 30 miles seems like a long way to us to walk. It is. It's a day's walk, though. It's a long day. And... Uh, Paul and Silas and their traveling party. Number one, they, there's speculation. I read in, in one commentary, there's some speculation that they may have been on horseback, partly because they were so beat up from their previous adventures. Let's not forget, they're like wounded, running away um, after getting beaten uh, for, for exactly what they're doing as, as they're doing this. But anyway, I picture this area as kind of like the Tri-Cities, okay? It's a little bit further away, but it's like they... they Walked into Richland and through Pasco to get to Kennewick, okay? And, and Thessalonica is Kennewick in that, in that little parallel. Um, and, okay, so we get kind of the, and, and we're going to end today 
way down in Athens. Athens, I think, is more like 90 or maybe it was like 120. Sorry, I don't remember. Um, miles away that, that they travel at the end. Okay, next passage here. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So Trey, Trey asked me to speak on this uh, maybe two months ago. I picked it up probably about two weeks ago, just to be honest. And when I picked it up about two weeks ago, my first, one of my first thoughts was like, three, three Sabbath days. He was there for a long time. He was there for like, like three weeks, let's call it. I was wrong. He was there for a lot longer than that. Um, this is not just like a, you see his message there. We'll talk about the message in just a second. But this Jesus who I proclaim to you as a Christ, this was not just a mic drop. Okay, you heard me say it. I'm out of here. This was time. There was a lot of time involved in this. In fact, part of the reason I know I was wrong thinking he was there for three weeks is that, remember we were talking about Paul was in Philippi, started his church, walks through the Tri-Cities, Thessalonica. He's here for how long, we don't know. But he writes back to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 4.16, he says, oh, where is it in my notes? I know I have it. Aha. Even in Thessalonica, this is writing to the Philippians, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So not once, but twice, the Thessalonian church sent him help, whether it was financial, whether it was material, tent-making materials for his little side job. I don't know. Um, maybe it was people, but they sent him help twice. That's how long he was in Thessalonica. He was developing relationships. He didn't just stop into the synagogue drop his message, and leave. There's a time component here. And one of our kind of main, main points today, and one thing that really s- stood out to me, is this idea of time. And when we're really thoughtful about time as we read scriptures, we get a lot more out of it, okay? Um, I think we can learn from the fact that, that Paul invested time in these people, but I think kind of even meta of that is that we can see, oh, when we think about time as we read Scripture, there's more there sometimes than we realize. And here's one more example of this. Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay, we're still on that, that concept of time. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of those top 10 feel-good Bible verses. I actually Googled, like, most quoted Bible verses, and depending on what website you look at, it's between number four and number 10. Um, in fact, <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody has like a Jeremiah 29:11 ankle tattoo or something like that. Uh, you're not the only one in the world if you do. Um, it's, it's a very popular feel-good verse, and it is totally true. It says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a hope and a future." That's awesome. Love that, and that's totally true. And, no but, and there's more to it. When we look at the context and we look at time, we see something even bigger, even actually cooler. This is going to make you want to go get tattoo removal surgery, but don't because it's actually better. But let's pull up Jeremiah 29.10 as well. For thus says the Lord, oh, by the way, I should have set this up better. This is, this is from the prophet Jeremiah, actually from the Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, to the Israelites 
who are exiled in Babylon. And they kind of just got there. And it's like, a, it's like a month walk. We talked about it like a three-day walk to get from one place to another. This is like a month walk away. They didn't want to go to Babylon, some political stuff. And God said, hey, you got to go. Um, but they're, they're chomping at the bit. They're asking Jeremiah, can we go back? How about now? How about now? How about next week? Can we go back? And, and Jeremiah says, I don't know. Let me go ask the Lord. And he comes back to them. There's 28 chapters of Jeremiah in a nutshell for you. Um, and he comes back to them and says... For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in, for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a hope and a future. That thing you want, I will give it to you in 70 years. Bob's with the kids. Bob's been up here a couple of times. Bob has mentioned the fact that he's 70, so I don't feel bad saying that Bob is 70. I don't know if anybody else in here has experienced what 70 years feels like. It's a long time. Most people who heard this message heard that they were going to die before they got what they wanted. At the same time, God is, is encouraging them to seek the welfare of the city, to put down roots, to multiply in this place. He is providing for them in Babylon, but what they think they want He's saying, yep, in 70 years, okay? There's more to it. When we understand the time component, there's more. It's, it's, it's deeper. It's richer. Um, and this is just one great example of that. Hopefully, I did not ruin, ruin Jeremiah 29.11 for you. Um, you'll hear it again. And please don't be the jerk that says, oh, but, 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 but. no. Um, next time you hear that. But just realize, when we, when we understand time in Scripture and time in our own lives, it's, it's richer, it's better. Um, you know, this, this annoying little injury I mentioned, it's going to go away, okay? At some point, it's going to be better. I don't know when. People are asking me, when are you out of the sling? I don't know. Um, but, but it is going to happen. Uh, those trials that we're going through, those things that we want and, and, and can't have, God's maybe got a better plan, or maybe he's got a plan with different timing. Okay. That's my soapbox. Uh, let's get back to our passage. Um, we're going to look at... Next slide there, Lori. Um, okay. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Here's what he was saying. Here's what he spent three weeks, four months, however long it was, a lot of time telling them. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And again, he's talking to, this is in a Jewish synagogue. He's talking to Jews. But this is, this is what he taught. This is the message that he had. Now, he didn't just say this over and over and over again. It's just the part that we have in quotes. We know that he reasoned with them. He explained the, the necessity of Christ to die and be raised from the dead. Um, but his main message was, hey, this, you guys have been waiting around for this king from the moment of, of Adam and Eve's sin and God promises a seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. From way back then, you guys have been waiting for this Messiah. Boom, there you go. He's here. That was his message. We have a message too. Um, we're, our message is not to first century Jews. It's not a different message than this. This is our message. Um, but there's, as, as, we, as we bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to our world, 
There's different ways of, of wording it. One thing that, that I kind of, I'll mention this later too, uh, Trey and I are, are in this seminary program down in Portland. I literally took a doctoral level class, and half the class was on what is the gospel, okay? Um, so this is kind of a big thing, but it boils down to this statement. Um, I think this is the best statement that kind of encapsulates what is the gospel, what is our message. It is the good news. It's news. It's an announcement. It's, it's something that has happened that we can talk about. Good news of the saving, saving from sin, saving from our, our, what we deserve, um, saving grace, Okay, this is a gift. It's given to us through faith. So that's how, we, that's how we get it, not by living the perfect life or being good enough or balancing the scales of, of, of the good and, and bad in our life or anything like that. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's through faith in the resurrected. That's the miraculous, like the, the whole thing. Guys, our whole faith hinges on this, this resurrection of Jesus Christ because um, that's how God really kind of or Jesus really showed, I am who I say I am. Um, resurrected Lord, in other words, King, in other words, Lord of our lives, Jesus Christ, okay? So I just threw a bunch of other words in there. I'll say it as one statement now. The good news of the saving grace through faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That is our message. That is the gospel. Um, Okay, moving on in our passage. Some of them, so he's, again, in this Jewish synagogue, talking to Jewish people. Uh, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Stick that in your brain. We're going to come back and talk about that. Not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, so whoever Jason is, they're in their house, can't find Paul and Silas. So Paul and Silas do not get swept up in this yet. They, but they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. First time I read this, well, not the first time, but you know, the first time I read this, kind of diving in, preparing to talk about this with you guys, um, I read it and I was like, oh, okay, you know, you're kind of reading along. It's like, okay, Jason, and you just keep reading. Jason gets mentioned a couple times, as if you're supposed to know who Jason is. So I like look, I'm like flipping pages back in my Bible, like, wait, Jason, I don't remember. Where, where did Jason come from? And we don't know. Okay, he's just mentioned here. It's like somebody's telling a story, and they mention somebody as if you're supposed to know who that is. Um, it's, it's a little bit of that. So I, we don't know a lot about Jason. Um, he was probably a convert, but there's some speculation that he was maybe not really um, a convert of, of Paul's, but he was just kind of a friend. Um, we can, you know, kind of speculate that he was probably Jewish because he heard this message um, at one point or another. We can speculate that he may have been fairly wealthy because he had a, a, a place, a house, a villa, or whatever that was maybe big enough that Paul and Silas were able to hide in one place while this mob comes through looking for them and they can't find him. That's all speculation. One thing we know that's really, really powerful, Jason provided hospitality. He received them, okay? And we don't know all the details of that, of course, but 
we can speculate pretty, uh, I think pretty strongly, that he received them for a long period of time. Long enough that when this mob is looking for Paul and Silas, they're like, oh, they're probably at Jason's house, okay? Um, he probably let them in for a long time. Maybe it was the only place they stayed for the months that they were in Thessalonica. So Jason is providing some, I think, pretty radical hospitality. Um, partly that was cultural to provide hospitality like that, but it's powerful as well. Um, Jason's name is in the Bible, like three times here, and again in Romans. Um, anybody else's name in the Bible? No, mine, mine neither. That's a powerful thing. And all he did was open up a home. Well, I know your name might be in the Bible, but not you. You know what I mean. Um, Jason had a powerful impact on the ministry of Paul and Silas and on the message of Jesus spreading simply by providing hospitality. Hospitality is powerful. And yes, it can include inviting people in your home. There's other ways to provide hospitality. Hospitality is making people feel welcome. That can happen in a coffee shop. It can happen at the front door of a church. It can happen in your office, at work. Um, it can happen in somebody else's office at work as you're going in and, and chatting and saying hello with them. Hospi There's a lot of different ways to provide hospitality. And it's just something I, I want us to, to noodle on, kind of like the time thing. I don't really have like some big point, some huge takeaway. Just, just noodle on this a little bit. What, what is this power that hospitality has? Uh, Trey and I, I mentioned um, taking this class. We went down to Portland, I don't know, a month, maybe two months. Time is a blur um, ago. And um, we're taking a class on biblical sexuality. Sexuality, I said it twice. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it was a fascinating class. It, we're going to take some of the stuff from there. We're going to do a sermon series in the fall on biblical sexuality. And um, I say that partly as warning, partly as encouragement. No, it's, it's going to be great. But the, the reason I bring that up is because in that, the class, um, the professor, a guy named Todd Wilson, whose uh, book we will probably read as, as part of this series, he said something that I thought was really interesting. He was kind of, and he just kind of said this, I think kind of off the cuff. Um, kind of, he was thinking about, you know, the, our, our response to different views of sexuality in our culture. And it's gotten to the point where mere tolerance is not enough. What's asked of us is affirmation. And there are things that we, we can't affirm and say and celebrate and say, yes, that's great that you're doing that. I'm so proud of you. Um, we, there might be things there that we can't say. But what can we do? And he kind of asked the question. He said, is hospitality the redemptive move between tolerance and affirmation? In other words, is hospitality the God-honoring thing that we can do as a response to somebody who's asking us to affirm um, what, whatever we, we might be asked to affirm? I don't know. There's a lot more there. We're going to unpack that kind of throughout the fall um, when we're talking about biblical sexuality. But I just, it was fascinating to me that the, the power of sexuality, sorry, the power of sexuality, uh, the power of hospitality is what I meant to say there. Um, <clears throat> to get us back on track, I'm going to read that question one more time. That, hey, that's true too, and that's why we're going to be talking about it throughout the fall. Um, is hospitality the redemptive move between tolerance and affirmation? I think there's something there. The other thing we see in this, in this section is these men turned the world upside down. They didn't give, like, 
some little feel-good message. Um, they didn't tell you everything's going to be okay. They didn't just kind of preach the, the cultural wisdom of the time. Um, it wasn't a health and wealth gospel. It wasn't, uh, yeah, this was a world upside-down turning message that they gave, that Jesus is the, um, the resurrected Savior. And I, I think we need to realize that. I think the church has done a real disservice to itself um, by, by making promises that, that are not biblical promises, that everything's going to be okay and you're going to get what you want. And um, yeah, this was a two-world kind of message. I was in a Bible study uh, with Jeff, actually, uh, a long time ago now. Gosh, time. Whew. Um, and it, this, this was probably, I don't know, 15, maybe 10 years ago. And the moment really stuck with me, though. One of the guys in the Bible study just asked the question, what would your life be, with, be like? What would you be like? How would you be living your life without Jesus if you did not know the Lord? And at the time, my answer was kind of like, ah, I'd be probably pretty similar. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good guy. I like family. I, I value family. I'd, I'd probably be doing some similar things. I'd, I'd just be, be nice. But then I've, I've thought about that more over the last 10 or 15 years or whatever, and I don't think that's true. I, I'm like so self-focused that the, the, the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only reason that I can care about anybody else. <laughs> that's just me being transparent up here. Um, I would be a very different person without the Lord in my life. And, um, and I think, so if you ask yourself the question, how has faith turned your world upside down? It's easy as, as a humble Christian to say, um, to kind of be self-deprecating and say, oh no, it hasn't enough. I need, to, I need to do more. I need to do better. I think we kind of need to stop and recognize and again, noodle a little bit on like, how has, how has the Lord, the Lord, specifically Jesus, how has Jesus turned your world upside down? What has he done? And I think there's some things there, if you really think about it. I think there's probably some really powerful things there um, that you can say, yeah, I, I am like that. I do that. I think that way. Thanks be to God that, that does that in me. Um, okay, next passage here, next section. The people and the city of authorities, the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, now this is not a bribe, it's more like a bond. They're basically, so Jason's been brought before the city authorities after this whole ruckus happened. <clears throat> um, and these, I mean, you can kind of picture these guys being like, why, why are you causing all this trouble? And he's like, I'm not causing trouble. Um, it's like, you're not going to cause any more trouble, are you? It's like, no, I'm not going to cause any more trouble. Like, okay, give us, give us 10 grand, and in a year... Is it as security, if, there's, if you don't cause any trouble for the next year, you'll get it back. That's what's going on here. Um, it's, it's not a bribe. They didn't actually get thrown in jail. It's essentially a, a bond um, that they're not going to cause any trouble. Okay, so taking money from security from, J, from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and they arrived, and when they arrived, they went into, I shouldn't even need to say it, the Jewish synagogue. That's the pattern every single time go to the Jewish synagogue, start there, preach Christ is king of the Jews, and then let it spread from there. And we see back on the, the same map again, they're now in a new place um, in Berea. Now, these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
They received, the, this is like great praise. We want this said about us. We're more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing. There's that same phrasing again. We're going to talk about it this time. Not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there too, agitating <clears throat> and stirring up the crowds. So we see a couple things there. These, the, the, the folks in Thessalonica receive great praise from Paul. He calls them noble. He says they receive the word. Um, they examine the scriptures daily. Picture like open hearts. Okay, this is honestly, I actually just thought about this in this moment. This is kind of like what I... Sorry, I'm trying to fix this mic left-handed. Um, like, w- one thing I appreciate about this church is that I-, I feel like whoever's up here speaking, I feel like we're open to the Word of God. This is, this is a group of people who are, are committed and are, are seeking and are looking into and, and wanting to know God's Word and what God has for them. And that's what this group is here in Berea. Um, specifically, examining the scriptures daily. I think that's something that's, you know, you hear this encouragement all the time, whether it's waking up early in the morning or a a verse of the day app or a reading plan or whatever it is, those are all great things. No buts about it. Um, Those are all different ways. There's a million different ways these days that we can be in the word, that we can be examining the scriptures daily. And that's essentially what these people get, get praise for in Berea. Okay, let's tackle this one. Not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. Um, there's something going on here. We've seen this phrasing twice from Paul, or sorry, twice from Luke, um, as he's writing about what, what's going on here with Paul. We saw it once a couple, couple of verses earlier. And it's kind of awkward phrasing. It's kind of like it, it doesn't really flow. It doesn't really belong there, but it's, but it's, it's there. This, this idea that... that the women, women of high standing, were very important in receiving and spreading this message. One thing we have to realize is that in this world, not so much in Greece where they are at this moment, um, but in the Jewish world at the time and in the Roman world, the, the culture that, that, um, that they were spreading this message in, women were, I want to say second-class citizens because that's kind of a uh, I don't know, a, a phrase that we're used to, we hear it, we know what it means. It was worse than that. The Jewish men had a, a daily prayer that they said, thank God I'm not a dog or a woman. Like literally, whoa, okay? This was a revolutionary message that women were important in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Women were, were supporters of Jesus's financially and logistically. Um, women, depending on how you look at it, Women may have been the first people to share the gospel because it was three or four women that saw the empty tomb and then go and tell, I think it was Peter and John, but go and tell, hey, the the tomb's empty. Jesus is risen. Women were the first people to do that. And and this book that we're reading right now, Acts, is a historical account written, and we think written like, oh, type, 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 boom, 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 it goes pretty quick. No, painstakingly written and copied over and over again, painstakingly, physically difficult to do, written by men, but very intentionally, 
twice and kind of awkwardly throwing in this idea that women were very important in, in receiving and spreading this message. This was revolutionary. This was a big deal. And something I want us to just think about, and I think we'll, we'll talk about it in the fall. I think it'll come up again in our biblical sexuality stuff when we're talking gender roles and whatnot. Again, I, I don't have the answer. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to speculate on the answer. I just, I just, it makes me ask the question, how if, if, if Christianity was revolutionary in terms of its empowering and its valuing of women, why are we at a point in our culture where Christianity is seen as misogynistic and actually putting down of women? What has changed? What, is, what has happened? Things have happened there. And I'm not saying, I'm not pushing like what those things are. I think we'll get there. But things have happened to take this message that was, that was a revolutionary empowerment and, and valuing, I think that's probably the best word, valuing of the role of women. And it's been kind of turned upside down. And it's not viewed that way anymore. And I wonder if that's, that the, the message has, has changed, that we're not doing a good job, that culture has changed. Um, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. More to come there. Uh, but there is something going on there. Luke, as a historian, he was, he was commissioned to go write about this, this whole Jesus movement thing, what's going on here, um, and he's very painstakingly, meticulously recording the history of what happened, and he, twice within a couple sentences, awkwardly throws in that women were important in this phase of the movement. Um, there's something there. Okay, but the challenges continue. This is a wonderful journey. This is a fruitful journey that they're on. No buts about it with challenges. The challenges continue because the crowds get stirred up again. Um, and again, this, the agitation is, is happening from the, the Jewish religious establishment that is jealous. And the last passage we'll read, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So just a little narrative. We, that kind of explains how they all ended up in Athens, which is where Trey uh, next week is going to pick up with us. So a couple, Lori, if you want to go to the next slide, a couple kind of big picture things, um, and maybe worship team, you guys can come on up. Um, if I were a, a if I were a better preacher, I would have a more focus, like here's the one thing you should take from this, or maybe the two. Sorry, I got five, and they're kind of scattered. Um, but maybe just, just pick one. Like what, what jumps out at you as far as like what we can do with this, okay? Um, this, this, this idea that these, these challenges, these adventures that we're on in our lives and that we see here, they are wonderful with challenges. The challenges are a part of the wonderful, guys. They're wonderful with challenges. Think about the time component. How does time affect the way we read these stories in Scripture? How does time affect our lives when we can't get what we want? Yet. When I'm not feeling better? Yet. Um, when things are really difficult? For now. There's a time component there that we need to recognize. Um, second, what is the message? The good news of the saving grace by faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is our message. And how does it turn the world upside down? If you all through, throughout the next week just kind of 
did some thinking. How has my life been turned upside down by the Lord? I, I think there's some things there that are really cool. Um, third thing is the power of hospitality. Jason's name is in the Bible four times. He had a huge impact on the ministry. All he did is open up his doors. Very powerful stuff. Um, examine the scriptures daily. That's always, always a good thing. And then just to be thinking about what, what is going on here in terms of, of Jesus and the early church bringing about a revolutionary view of women. Um, they, they really did. And how do we, how does that, what does that look like today? Um, so as we pray, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray this prayer of blessing over you guys, and then we're going to um, lift up the Lord in worship one more time. This is a prayer from number six. If you've been listening to the Bible Project podcast, um, you're, you're well aware that the book of Numbers, the title of the book of Numbers in Hebrew is Into the Wilderness or Through the Wilderness. Much better title. Numbers is terrible. Who wants to read Numbers? Um, but it's a book of, of the Israelites going into and through the wilderness and, and taking with them the presence of God. They create this God presence place and they take it into the wilderness. So I thought this prayer would be good to read over all of us as we are going out into the wilderness, as we take the God presence place that is this gathering, that is our families, that is our hearts, as we take it out um, into the world. So I'm actually going to read this twice. And it, and it is as a prayer that um, Moses and Aaron uh, delivered from God to, to the people, heading out, taking God into the wilderness. So let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Why don't we stand as we just sing this last song together?